0: Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, welcome in. Uh, We've got a very interesting show for you today. And uh, if you're interested in ways of uh, fighting crime in Memphis, uh, tune in. Get a hold of your neighbors and have them tune in, because every guest we have today is talking about what they're doing uh, to fight crime. And and we're not talking about going out and uh, doing vigilante stuff, uh, getting an axe handle and beating people up, uh, shooting people. We're talking about taking action. That literally cleans up neighborhoods, gets the kids off the streets, and protects your property. Uh, my first guest today is Daniel Quinn, uh, who contacted me a, a, a while back. He's a regular listener. Thank you for that, Danny. Uh, but he's a, a local, he runs a property management firm here that has for many, many years. He figured out a way almost 20 years ago on how to fight crime because they faced a unique situation. They had all this rental property, people lived there. And he would go into their neighborhoods to fix something, a water heater, you know, repair a roof, whatever. And they're going, why don't you do something about the crime around here? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Turns out the police department didn't contact the owners of the property. They go to a property, there's a problem, they take care of the problem, they write up the problem, they put people in jail. uh, And that was pretty much the end of the story. So the property owners would show up during the day when nothing was going on, fix stuff, go through the neighborhoods. And I know from experience being a reporter, People just don't come up to you and tell you about the the crime that's going on in their neighborhood. You got to ask them. Then they'll tell you once they develop a trust in you. Uh, But what he came up with was a very very unique plan uh, that involved information, data, and data is what we're all these. I introduced you to flock camera systems that actually it's uh, in, in AI. These these cameras take pictures of cars, not only record the license plate. Bumper stickers, scratches, uh, different colored fenders, uh, and it remembers that vehicle. It's like facial recognition. And then they're able to track cars, not just whether they got a license plate or not, a card to different uh, areas, and that's how they're catching people, even if they change out the license plate. What this is, does is, is it makes neighborhoods and property owners that own them and manage them get the information where crime is, they isolate it, keep calling the cops on these people until you get them out of the neighborhoods, they're cleaning up their own neighborhood. It's like a new sheriff in town. And as briefly as I could, that's kind of what happened. But now we're going to talk to Danny about exactly what the program is and how it works. And welcome to the show, Danny. And thank thank you for being a listener. And also thank you for being a very passionate person about solving crime in Memphis.
2: Thank you so much. This isn't uh, my thing, so I'm not, uh, not real good at this, but I am passionate about it. So I'm going to try to be um, uh, as clear as possible. This idea, Earl, came up... Um, in conjunction with Safeways Incorporated. Uh, Janine Heiner and Joe Gurley uh, run Safeways, and they, um, their main goal is to clean up crime in um, large apartment complexes. Well, I was in Janine's office one day in uh, Joe's and asking them, why can't we get the same information you get for small inner-city apartment complexes and single-family houses? Um we, uh, we can't, they're not interested in that. They want to do hundred units and over. Well, they told me that, um, that was a good idea because a lot of crime is in neighborhoods, single family houses, sure. du- duplexes, small buildings. Um, they have no management, no manager there on site. So they're just open. So we got together and, uh, Safeways came up with an MOU and, um, we contacted Mike Rawlings and Doug McGowan with the city of Memphis and uh, convinced them that um, to allow us to do a pilot program with our management company um, would be the um, we would have all the, the properties that would be in the pilot. Uh, we have about 400 uh, units that were in this original pilot. They are inner city small complexes, 10 units uh, on Mississippi Boulevard eight units on Richmond. They're just inner-city properties that are crime-infested. Well, the way it works is every time a police officer shows up at one of these properties, the owner and the manager, me, get an email. Because before, you were not. You had no no knowledge that cops even made a call there. We had no knowledge at all. And, um, you know, I... I live on the other side of town from most of these places, and uh, the owner of all these places um, are out of town. Every one of them, Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago.
0: Which, Memphis is one of the biggest uh, rental cities in the nation for off-premise ownership. I mean, there are people who live all over the world that own property in Memphis.
2: That's correct. And one interesting little little side, I'll do it real quick. Um, On Richmond, um, I drove up one day to meet a welder to um, to do some work on the property. Well, there were police everywhere, and there were people outside uh, that were looked like they were getting ready to fight with each other. There were probably six police cars. And I had a little um, police officer, lady police officer, come up to me and put her finger in my face and say, you manage this place? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, shoot, she said some things I can't say on air. She <laughs> said, we've been over here 14 times in the past two months, to apartment number 10 and you need to do something and i said this is the first i've heard of it had no idea
0: and and believe me having been a reporter if i were sitting there watching that my first inclination would be you you're you're lying you knew what was going on all the time because you go, you're the property owner but i also know after talking to you when i think about it how many times i went to a crime scene the next morning after sunup it ain't nothing like it is the night it's happening
2: that's right that's right uh, well I didn't know. You hear rumblings about there might be a problem here, but I did not know the police were called. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a shooting at that apartment or a stabbing. I didn't know any of that, uh, the details. Well, now I get all that information. I, just, I get a brief summary of the police were at your property um, at apartment number 10 at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, for a domestic dispute. That's all I get. And it's up to me to go down and knock on the door and say, is there a problem here that we need to uh, intervene in? Or is there anything we can do to help?
0: Which is a very brave thing to do. At any rate, I mean, I, I go to places after crimes and, and knock on doors to see if they want to talk. You're going there to say, we've got to stop this. And, and you're not meeting with friendly people, are you?
2: Well, that's true, Earl. But you go as a reporter. I go as a person they already know. Uh, They have a lease with us.
0: Yeah, you've met them Uh, before. I
2: know their kids. I know them. I know the situation. Uh, We've, you know, let them slide by on rent a few times. So it's a little bit different. So we can intervene a lot better than an average person can. Or the police or Or anybody else. Or anybody else. Because we actually have an ongoing relationship with these people. And there, there are many times when we have to just say, um... It's time for us to part ways because you're not good for this property.
0: But that's not easy to do either. I have know eviction is a long, drawn-out process. I've been there when they've done it after people have done horrible things.
2: That's exactly right. And, but there's a natural governor on it. We don't go at this just willy-nilly trying to kick people out. We're in a business to make money for our owners. I mean, we don't, uh, don't want to kick people out. We want to work things out. But we also want to preserve the neighborhood, because if we have um, in this one area, we've got 45 houses in one neighborhood that we manage. We've got one owner. He's in San Diego. He has no idea what goes on in Memphis. I haven't seen him in 10 years.
0: Doesn't want to know.
2: I have not seen a man in 10 years. (laughs) Wow. So, but we've cleaned up his neighborhood and the people, the other 120 houses.
0: Couldn't be happier.
2: They love it. And the Raines Road Precinct loves it.
0: Well, and to think about it, and I tell people this all the time, nobody wants to live in a crime-ridden neighborhood, yeah. but they don't know how to get rid of them. That's why I was saying yesterday, if you see crime, call the police, keep calling the police until right. these people get so tired of having to deal with the police that they move out on their own. You're going about it another way. You're finding out the police are being called there. Now you find out the first time they get called right. there. And you go there and you talk to the owners and, say, and they say, okay, I got a brother that's crazy. Right. And you help me get rid of him. I'll be glad to help you.
2: And we do that. We we do that. We uh, we we absolutely do. And the the people in these neighborhoods where we go to, um, well, first of all, if you think about it, rental houses don't have signs on them that say this is managed by no. JD Marks Management Company mm-hmm. or whoever. They don't have signs on them, so the average person doesn't know. They can they can look up through the tax records and all that, but they very rarely do. They just say. That's the bad house. Yeah. Well, that's where we come in. If, if we unknowingly have rented to somebody that is violating some city ordinance or something like that, I get, I get an email that says the police were at this house, and then it opens the conversation. I call, and I could, I could go on the rest of the day with phone calls that how we've cleaned up houses and, and taken care of problems um, in these neighborhoods.
0: We're, we're talking with uh, Daniel Quinn, who's uh, in local uh, property management for a number of people here at Memphis. Um, he's got uh, this program going uh, a few years ago. It works in his his thing, but then the pandemic hit, and it just kind of died. When we come back, we're going to talk about how he can get it going again. I'm sure every property owner in this city, whether you're a private owner or you live in a neighborhood that has a rental house next door to you that's owned by somebody else and you got a crime problem, you want it solved. Uh, in fact, he mentioned ago, a minute ago that – we got, we're down 500 police officers in the Memphis Police Department. If we could get this in every apartment complex and every neighborhood in the, in the city, this program where the owners find out what's going on, we don't need 500 policemen. Let the property owners deal with the property problems. We're going to talk more about it when we come back. Stay with us. That us me up. That's what we're trying to do right here is start something up, help fight crime. Daniel Quinn is with me in studio, and um, he's been working on it for a long time. He's uh, one man, but he's been working with a number of people with the police department and other agencies, mayors, um, city operators, and... uh, He's doing it in conjunction with a company, it's not really a company, it's an entity called Safeways. Safeways. And what they were able to do is start getting data from the police department that shows all the service calls they make. And having been with the sheriff's office, I know that every service call is categorized. And if you're you're a reporter and you want to go to and find out who got murdered last night, you look at the blotter and it says murders, shootings, um, rapes, uh, attacks, uh, all the different categories. And each each category has a different incident number, the time that it took place, uh, and then a description of whatever it was, armed robbery of an individual. But you don't get the aggregate of all that information. Well, what Safeways did was got, uh, got with the city, and they said, start sending us this information, and we will send it out to people that own properties, that own these properties, So they will know because guess what? Before this all happened, the property owners had no knowledge of what was going on, and the people who lived there didn't call them up. So last night we shot your place up. So what he's trying to do, and that's uh, we've got a new administration that's coming into the city, which will probably be you know a new mayor, probably a new police director, is get them on board because what this will do is really go tremendous distance in stopping crime because if every property owner in Memphis. Whether they live here or live someplace else, they are responsible for their property. The property owners are responsible for the property. And what Daniel's trying to do is just say, let's take responsibility. And we got bad people in the neighborhood. Let's get them out of there so that it's safer for everybody the police, the other people who are left behind, and get the bad people out of there and have to tell them go someplace else. And if they end up going to another neighborhood, it's the same situation. Guess what? They might leave Memphis, which my premise all along is. If you commit a felony in Memphis, a violent felony, and you do time, you can never come back to Memphis. They tell me that's unconstitutional. Probably is, but this way, you just make them leave because it's easier to leave than to stay.
2: That's correct. Yeah, I agree. What do
0: what? Okay, where are we right now with this program, and what can people do to contact their city councilman to contact it? even the mayor, current mayor's office about let's let's do something that it is it exists now. The data is there. All you've got to do is make sure Safeway can start sending this data to all the other owners and property owners in Memphis. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. That's exactly right, Earl. Um, right now, Safeway's mainly concentrates on apartments that are a hundred units and over. That's what they um, their That's what their business model is. Um, it's a nonprofit uh, organization, and they clean up crime in big apartment complexes. Well, big apartment complexes, many of them have security guards, managers, fenced in. Yeah, they're fenced, they've got security fences, but these small inner-city complexes that are 8, 10, 12 units uh, that are low-income people... Or
0: even single-family
2: homes. Single-family homes, duplexes, um, they have no manager on site, They um, you don't even know who owns them. They're, a lot of the, du- uh, the duplexes and the uh, houses don't have signs on it that says this is managed by so-and-so. So if you... You don't. You really don't even know it's a rental house in many cases. But the owner, if the owner was getting the same data that I'm getting, um, I'll show you something right here. Um, this is, this is one apartment complex um, that um, we uh, used to manage. We don't anymore. But it says there were-
0: 56 calls for service from Friday May 4th to Tuesday June 12th. 40 days, 56 calls. I would say that was an active property, a crime property.
2: Well, it still is. Uh, I can say this. I can divulge this. It's in the Airways Police Precinct. And I went into the Airways Police Precinct and met the Neighborhood Watch um, police officer um, last week, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I handed her 350 calls for service to an apartment complex in one year. And she was surprised that I had the information, but... um, it was the police were at that property, that apartment complex, and it's not that big. Every day, usually is, two cars.
0: This is over on Pendleton. I know it well. If you cover news and crime in Memphis, you go to Pendleton. Uh, each day, it's a disturbance, disturbance, fight, gunshot, domestic disturbance, uh, domestic disturbance, call for police. It just doesn't stop.
2: Well, I asked the neighborhood watch um, a police officer, I said, if I came to you and said, I can cut these calls, these 350 calls in half in one year, I can cut them down. I guarantee you I can cut them to 175. Um, I said, what would you, what would you do? She said, i give you a big hug. Said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, I don't think you can do it. And I said, we're doing it. We're doing it in other places. Um, we still. We lost the management contract on this property right at the beginning. So we didn't have time to intervene. But all you do is every time there's a disturbance um, and the police are called, these are, these are our tenants. We have a relationship with them. We have a lease that's signed, a, a civil lease. And all we do is call them up and say, that, you know, we understand the police were at your apartment last night. Is there anything we can do to help? What's the situation? And we do this at all the other properties that we currently still manage. And it, it's it's very effective. We work things out. But this is
0: they did this because they wanted you to be a model for not just Memphis, for the entire country.
2: Well, it, it would work. It would work everywhere.
0: And so what do we need to do to facilitate it at this point?
2: Our management company has a call in to Brent Taylor and to Mark White. Um, they've promised us a meeting um uh, Marshall Gordon at JD Marks is uh, going to set up the meeting with these two guys, and uh, hopefully we can get some state legislation uh, passed where we can get access to this information. Um, I've got I've got a whole year of data where we've intervened over and over again after getting these police calls, and the neighbors in the in the areas where we've intervened love it. Our tenants love it. And, and let me just go right out and say it. We manage low-income, inner-city properties. This isn't, this isn't stuff out in Germantown and Collierville. These are places where the police go a lot. And there's, and the police, when they leave, they just leave. Yeah. Nothing else happens. Uh, the owners are in... Well, they take
0: away whoever they catch for this right. disturbance, firing a shot... They take them down. They spend the night in jail. The, the judges release them. They're right back the next day.
2: Right. Well, but we're, we're back the next day, too. And we go down there and we ask the, you know, we have, uh, we have young people that are, are on the way to getting in trouble. And the quickest way to keep a young person out of trouble is go to their mom and say, you know, we know what's going on here now. Uh, we used to not, but we do now. And um, you need to keep, um, keep this guy you know, on the straight and narrow, if you don't, all of you and your family are gonna be looking for another place to reside. And you know, that, we're, we're That it, gets their attention. It does. Well we're in the money we're in the money making business. We like to we don't like to kick people out, but we do have to keep order for our the tenants.
0: Well, I think it's an incredible plan. I, I loved it when I first heard it. I'm more impressed with it even now and um i'm gonna put your number up for everybody see give do you have a number you can give if somebody wants to get in, talk, in touch with you today okay okay what we'll do is uh you know mine we're gonna have him back on and we'll keep you abreast of what's going on with this gotta take a break right now and we'll be back and thank you very much and uh, welcome back in studio with me now is kathy thurman edwards <laughs> and uh we're talking about uh, the, the battle against crime, and one of the biggest battles going on right here in Memphis is uh, car break-ins and car theft. Right. And um, one of the things you've done and before it's come in and say that one of the best um, defensive uh, strategies you can have is is uh, get the club. Bud. And that it works. There's one that really works. That's one that attaches not only to the steering wheel but down to the foot brake. Right, right. Uh, but that's one thing you could do. Other people are putting tracking devices in their cars. Kill switches is another. Uh, That's right. Uh-huh. Something else you can do. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this just came out that your company, State Farm, is filing suit against some of these car manufacturers.
3: Yeah, and Hun- <coughs> excuse me, Kia and Hyundai related to theft claims nationwide for certain vehicles, and I think uh, uh, some other uh, insurers oh, some, are, are kind of going along.
0: And states because everybody's everybody's losing. There's nobody that is winning in this deal, and. Um,
3: Hold on. You know what I did? I have new <laughs> hearing aids, and they're attached to my phone. <laughs> and it's ringing in my ear, so I look like an idiot. I'm like, excuse me. It's
0: your high tech is what you are. <laughs> I hear a ring, and it's just ringing. <laughs> I
3: know. I was at someone's house in Midtown. I said, excuse me, there's a ringing in my ear. And I forgot where I put my phone. But anyway, uh, yeah, because uh, to, to tell you how awful it is, on, on on car thefts, we had a uh, an elderly lady who had one of these cars, and it was stolen. And of course, they find it, and they're you know the, the police are great at finding them. They're not always they're not back much together, right? But anyway, <laughs> so she was uh, getting it repaired. So she got it repaired, and she had a an appointment with uh, gossip to to change it to the uh, you know the the from, from the key entry to the push button push button yeah. Mm-hmm. It was stolen before she could get it to the place.
0: You mean from her house?
3: Mm-hmm, before she had the former. Because the, the
0: problem still existed.
3: Right. I mean, you know, just just so just so much you could, you know, get done. I mean.
0: It, well, there have things. now, the last thing I heard was since the first year, over 6,000 automobiles have been stolen here in Shelby County. 6,000.
3: Right. I mean, they're, think about they're how- in the impound lot if you can find your
0: car. Yeah, if you, you can, can find it, if it's there. I mean, a lot of them, they just never see them again because they get uh, taken apart for parts. And, uh, in, in fact, there was somebody I was talking to recently who said they were they were hijacking her car. The guy said, I can do two, one or two things. I can take your car, or you can pay me for the parts that I would sell for it after I take your car. And then he laughed and said, I'm, ta- I'm taking your car, and took off. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. and But people are all saying, what can I do? Well, the first thing I think you do, and, and we talked about this not long ago, is, State Farmers are not even going to insure these cars anymore. Is that correct?
3: Well, there's certain years that that, that, is, is, that are, are targeted, but it's uh, for people who are new to us. You know, like new customers. If yeah. you're currently, you're gonna you, trade you, you, it you'll whatever. you'll be
0: covered. But you would strongly advise anybody to take a look and do your own research. Do your own due diligence
3: just to make sure it is. You you push it to crank it. Tell you, isn't that what you call it? Yeah, push you know, button start. Push button start. Yeah, not a key entry. Yeah. But and that's that is the key right there that's and the key uh, right
0: there oh, but there are other things you can do but check with your insurance carrier hopefully <laughs> you're with state farm with kathy Thurman edwards but whoever they are call them i'm thinking about buying this car is this on the list or not on the list right just to right. make sure because once you buy the car and it's your car
3: right exactly and uh uh and in, in with us it's only a problem if you're coming to us from another company and you know, and you've got one of these vehicles yeah but it's it's uh I think they've probably learned their lesson. I do believe there are, like I said, there are other uh insurers who are uh taking the same uh route it's called subrogation or lawsuit whatever and it's uh it's it's um it's not uncommon. For people, you know, for lawsuits and subrogation and things like that for these companies. Yeah, because everybody's but, trying to get
0: their money back, one way or the other.
3: Yeah, one of them is we filed a, a pending consolidated multi-district litigation in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California. You know, whatever happens in California, <laughs> and that action includes numerous other carriers, consumers, and government entities. Of course, California is mad at us and Allstate and all these other companies who are not writing new homeowner business there. And uh one of the reasons is it's a state that um, I know that sounds terrible, but I think their legislature has passed laws that says you can't non-renew anybody. So you got somebody keeps burning in their house, you you, you still have to renew
0: you them. Renew them. So guess what? So, you just don't sign any new people come along. You right, say we're right. not doing it.
3: And and they don't let us raise the rates that are necessary. You know, if if you go to Florida, uh the you know they've got the uh, the the state-run company there for the people on the coast and they are requiring now that you have flood insurance. Which I had someone call me and say, Can you believe they're making me get yeah, flood insurance? You're living in Florida. On and the coast. I said, Where how close are you to the beach? <laughs> well it's across the street. I went, Oh my gosh. Anyway, but I mean you just you know uh and I have known people who have plenty of money and do not get insurance. I just, like, and, you know, like they, they don't have a mortgage, so why do we need insurance? I mean, you know, I'm on the beach, but, you know, that's okay. In
0: fact, I know a guy that did that. He, yeah. His place was paid for. He goes, what do I need it for? I, it's paid for. It. Because when it goes away, you got nothing, which right. is what happened.
3: Exactly, exactly. And he said All it was right.
0: like a month after he dropped his insurance in yeah. Denver, Florida. No wonder, Yeah. Uh, with, uh, is this a nationwide problem? You're talking about California and, and Florida, oh. but is, these cars, is it, is this is oh, going it's, on.
3: Oh, I was reading it about Michigan uh, uh, uh you know, of course Illinois Chicago all these areas are having this and of course with the with the youtube and how to make a bomb yeah. how to steal a car it's out you there. know how you know how to do it it's 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 just crazy what what are you can learn on youtube if you really really want to but what is happening a lot of times is people are doing it just for meanness it's like or you know whatever you do do not leave stuff in your car yeah. do not yeah. leave your personal property in the car because first of all, it's not covered under your car insurance. It's covered under your homeowners. And you you, don't may, have, you may have a zero deductible on your on your windshields yeah. in your car, but you got a three to four thousand, thousand five yeah. thousand on your car, and, and you're not going to file it. No, so you're for, just going to lose it. So take it with you. Whatever
0: it is, and the less that's in there. I used to have a, a Volkswagen convertible and lived downtown. You remember we uh-huh. lived in the same building, and I just left the top down, left the doors open, and no, there was nothing in there, and nobody ever did anything with it. Right. They weren't stealing cars. I like
3: mean, you either. had a car when you were down there. Yeah, I kept mine. Yeah,
0: okay. If I, I wanted to borrow yours, because <laughs> yours was better,
2: I did use your phone. Yep. Yeah, we did live in the same building. He
3: was much more active than I was. He had a different date every other night. But anyway,
0: why would we want to get into that in my show?
3: Because <laughs> that's right when you had hair. Anyway, um, but 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 seriously, uh, in, and I think people are kind of. Nervous about uh, parking in parking lots. Yes, very much, you know, so. big time. And in, in, in your your parking garages, I'm sure, but people, especially the lots, because you can get to the lots much easier than you can in the parking garage. If you think about it.
0: In fact, I've talked to people that said they're they say going to go downtown to the Orpheum or go down to Midtown uh-huh. or something. Goes like well. Whose car are we going to take? Because nobody wants to take their car anymore. I mean, that's where we're at.
3: I'm not even going to tell you. We all pitch in. We got a driver. <laughs> Let steal we women, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so,
0: anyway. it, it is a, a situation, but you do first of all make sure before you purchase a car that uh, that it's not on the, the hot sheet because we all know there are different brands of cars that are on the five hot cars to be stolen. Right. Uh, and in fact, it's almost worth it getting as ugly a car as you can get that nobody wants, and then you you relatively safe, and they're not going to steal it but it, it and it's uh and it is I mean they can get them anywhere anytime uh, mm-hmm. daylight it happens in East Memphis it happens downtown so it's all over the place but it's costing us all money right. for, because the insurance companies are going to go up on the rates because of the theft and then we're paying for that plus you're paying for the cars that, that we lose and, and you never get back uh, it is a problem and
3: and and, and the uh, auto glass people are like behind
0: oh and they're not going to catch up
3: I, it's it's just unbelievable.
0: I just tried to get a window for my house that got hit by a golf ball and they're laughing at me. Oh, you think you've got problems, Mr. Farrell? Do you have another window there? I said, yeah, they just broke the storm window. How fortunate you are.
3: I know. <laughs> we'll see you in, Christmas, in yeah. Christmas.
0: You're breaking my heart. You live on a golf course? That's so sorry. <laughs> so they got no sympathy at all. Uh, but buy the club. And if you can, uh, you got a car, you've got OnStar, that's a, they can turn that car off remotely. If you don't have OnStar, you can buy a kill switch, a killer, uh, um, and you're driving down the road, you hit that switch, your car will turn off and there's nothing they can do about it. So there are things you can do. And if you want more help, contact Kathy Thurman's office if you're a customer and she will tell you these are the things you could do, the cars you should not buy, and that they won't insurance if you do buy. So do all that. Uh, what are, what number can they reach at, nine zero one
3: seven six seven 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 four four. 901-767-7744. You can also text that number and say, hey, somebody call me. This is so-and-so. But, yeah, 901-767-7744. But we've all
0: got to take action to cut these thieves off. We make their lives more miserable, just like we were talking with uh, Danny Quinn a minute ago about the uh, houses and, and calling the cops and people in the neighborhoods. we got to start taking action everywhere, and that means the neighborhoods, the apartment complexes, and their cars. Mm-hmm. Kathy, thank you for coming you guys, in and talking about
3: it. You guys have a good rest of the week.
0: All right, stay Good safe. Quick break, then we're going to talk to somebody that's uh, helping get kids off the street and get them out of crime. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Stop And welcome back. And joining me in studio now is a young man that is a friend of a very good friend of mine, Graham Smith, who I've known almost 50 years. Uh, we met each other. He was dating a young lady and I was dating her roommate. And we met because we were sitting there waiting for both of them to get ready. And it took hours sometimes. And uh, But Graham is from Australia and huge rugby player uh, back in the day. And, uh, this young man is, is a rugby player, but he's taken it a step further than that, and he's gotten inner city youth involved in rugby. And the name of his organization is, it's a nonprofit, Memphis Inner City Rugby, which is a great in a name. You always want to tell people what it is you do, what your business is about. And, uh, welcome to the show. This is, uh, uh, Shane Young. And Shane, slide up as close as you can to that mic because it's very directional. Is that good? Okay. Yeah, uh, you're topped the mock. <laughs> uh, First of all, uh, where are you from the United States? I am. I'm from New
4: Jersey. The best state in the United States, actually.
0: <laughs> well, the people in Texas might take the sheet, <laughs> Uh And to the But uh, rugby is not something most Americans play. I mean, you play football, uh, or in, as they say in England, I lived in Canada, too. Uh, football is soccer in many places. And then there's American football, which is, is nowhere near as brutal as rugby. <laughs> none, right. none of them are as brutal as rugby. Right? How did you get involved in rugby?
4: Uh, same way that most Americans do, not that many Americans do, but, uh, you know, I grew up playing football, basketball, baseball, just like every other kid in New Jersey. And, um, found out at like age 10, I think I was that my dad had played in some very grassroots, you know, old boys, New Jersey, you know, like they're like the founders of rugby in New Jersey, right? Like, uh, in his day. And so, uh, he found out, uh, that there was like a K through eight flag rugby league in the neighborhood. I grew up in, in New Jersey and. Went out to that, kicking and screaming. I was like, I'm too cool for this weird sport. I, I'm with my football guys. I'm with my basketball guys. But uh, ended up, you know, excelling in rugby and, uh, you know, played in high school, college, and then even as an adult. Uh, it is an amazing sport to
0: watch. In fact, one of the things I love is when they play over in uh, Newfoundland, uh, uh, Australia, and then New Zealand, New Zealand. That's yep, what I'm thinking of. Yep. And they come out and do that dance before they. That is the most impressive thing. If we, everybody did that, nobody would screw with you.
4: <laughs> you know what do you know what it's called? I can't. So, so that's called the haka. The haka. And it's you know, it's a uh, sort of ancient tribal war war dance. Yes. Uh, that's you know, deep in the culture, the Maori culture. That's the native New Zealand, uh, you know, population. And so, um, that's a big part of their. Their culture on the small island nation that is you know very traditionally the best in the world at rugby oh you, the, you watch high school what's the thing? is high school coach was retiring and the entire high school did it all to all the students yeah i mean it will it'll almost make you cry watch yeah. that thing it is very moving yeah you'll see it often in, in new zealand at what a funeral or a send-off or someone's marriage even so it's you know it transcends the sport and it's like this piece of their culture yeah and everybody knows about it everybody knows how to do it yeah it yeah. is amazing so you can't. How did you get to Memphis? Teach for America brought me here right after I graduated college in 2012. So uh, yeah, they bring young young college graduates from around the country to high need areas with struggling schools and train you for six weeks to become a teacher and say off you go and uh, that's a two year commitment. And obviously, I ended up here a lot longer. So
0: what was it that you saw? Obviously, the need to keep kids out of crime, and but and then your love of rugby. And I guess if you're really into rugby. Then you're not going to be involved in crime because rugby teaches you many things in addition to playing a sport.
4: Yeah, I mean we we didn't we weren't thinking about crime or anything like that. We were just you know young educators and in, in uh, Kingsbury High School actually is where we started our first uh, boys team. And so um, we were just thinking, man, after school we we liked rugby, we love rugby, and we thought, man, these kids can be good at it. You know they'd be beating the crap out of us if we played against them in, in high school. And so we should expose them to the game, see if it resonates. And then once we did that, we realized um, uh, a lot about the economics of poverty locally and in, in the communities we serve. And, wow, everybody needs cleats and kids are practicing in jeans and everyone needs a ride home and half the kids are hungry. You got to provide nutrition and, and then get into the family dynamics and, you know, getting to know parents. Then you got to hold them accountable to, you know, so we just like approached it in a way that um, – you know, we want it to be a legitimate entity in their lives. We want it to be actual resourceful network for them to lean into.
0: Basically, having covered in Memphis news for almost 50 years, uh, you've got two, two types of kids in an inner city neighborhood those that are wearing brand new sneakers and great clothes and have access to a lot of stuff. And then you have kids that have absolutely nothing because basically they're honest kids and they're not stealing anything. And so, how do you keep the, the kids? that don't have anything from wanting to go with the kids that are stealing stuff because they, that's a, to them, they look, there's two ways of living: poor or have stuff. And so, to, but this is an alternative. You said that we're going to teach you not only to be a good kid, but teach you to be a great athlete and get you a way out of the, where you are and you're around other kids who feel the same way you do, which is the hardest thing is peer pressure.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, our young people, you know, they yes they might experience the you know deepest levels of American poverty, um, and yet it doesn't change who they are born as, which is you know a person that's incredible has incredible potential you know uh, a great mind you know they so we we see each kid as an enormous asset to their family to the society they have this leadership skills and qualities that are suppressed and covered up by the you know pervasive and aggressive effects of poverty and so. Um, you know they. Sorry, go ahead. We we
0: got to take a quick yeah, break. Got a hard break. we're taking with Shane Young, um, with Memphis, uh, Inner City Rugby. We're gonna talk more about this and how you can help out because he's doing a great job.
1: And thank you very
0: much and welcome back. I do want to tell you about one other uh, accident. It's the Hacks Cross Road at Winchester Road. That was reported at about 3.42. Uh, and uh, the, the commander told you about the one up on Watkins, which is really stacking things up. And there's another one down south at uh, noncona Boulevard. So be aware of those. The good news is the bridges are open and traffic is moving on them. In studio with me right now is Shane Young, who is uh, the founder of Memphis Inner City Rugby from New Jersey, but has been here for the last few years. And um, he takes inner city kids and introduces them to the gentle sport of rugby. I was looking at some
4: pictures. Um, are there girls and guys playing rugby? There's actually more girls than guys. Uh, we we had we started boys teams in 2012, and that was all we did until 2015 when we started our first girls team. and. Uh, we did our most recent data dive, like our data analysis and our staff. You know, we do it in the office, and uh, we learned that it's now 55-45 in terms of percentage breakdown girls, boys. Girls outnumber the boys now. Well, it's because they can beat the boys. I, They're incredible. I, They've I, won a couple of state cha- four state championships wow. with us over the years in the, ten- in the state of Tennessee and a lot of uh, All-American honors, uh, full rugby scholarships. So the girls are girls are doing incredible. Uh, this is a nonprofit,
0: and your whole deal is is not just uh, you know teaching people how to play rugby. This is a lifestyle change. This is something teaching kids how to get out of poverty, how to take pride, how to become good citizens, and it, it's a whole different approach to uh, you know the other thing, which everybody says they should arrest them and send them away forever. You know, and I think what you're trying to do is save them and keep them from going into the the other category where they could end up. Uh, and there's so many bad things can happen. I mean, just being on the streets of Memphis, bad things happen. Uh, what are some of the changes you see in kids from the time they first show up
4: and were and brought – usually it's probably another kid that brings them along, right? Oftentimes it is, and it's, it's one of the incredible things. We have in, in the organization over 50 uh, sort of legacy players now, meaning their cousin oh, or – Alums. Or, yeah, well, no. Oh, we have hundreds of alums. We've served almost 3,000 students since 2012. Wow. But I'm talking about – uh young people whose brother, sister, cousin played for us and then they are the next generation. I guess we've got multiple uh generations now and about fifty plus situations like that. So you're right, in terms of how we recruit and retain, it does come from people in the schools, kids referring other kids. But uh yeah, no I mean no saving, no saving. They are um they are the, the deck is stacked against our young people, no doubt. Um and they need resources, they need network, they need uh, talented people in their lives to help them traverse through the challenges that they face. Uh, You know, mental health being one of them, for example, right now, the deficits are huge in social, emotional learning and academic, you know, in academic success. So we're trying to um, design a, we designed a program that is extremely responsive and relational. So we build really intimate relationships with young people by placing really talented coaches who are often alumni in their schools to build a legitimate presence and relationship in their life. And then the services we provide, which is like nutrition, transportation, academic support, college counseling, mental health counseling you know, we're year round. So, you know, you can't get away from us. We're playing seven on seven rugby in the fall, 15 on 15 rugby in the spring. We're with them in the summer. In fact, I just got a picture sent to me by coach Savannah, one of our full-time pathway coaches. There our girls were on a field trip today. They did jujitsu. I can't even even pronounce it. Jujitsu. Yeah. They're doing martial (laughs) arts today. Uh, So getting all kinds of experiences in summer programming. And so all the services are uh, responsive to the needs of the community. Because we're not here to save anybody. We're here to provide economic upward mobility and a relentlessly supportive community that our kids can lean into from age 8 to 24. How are you funded? Uh, we're funded uh, <laughs> carefully. No, it's, it's it's a struggle. We have about a third of our funding coming from uh, corporate, about a third from foundations, and about a third from individuals. So it's pretty balanced across the board. Um, we have an audience that's global because of the nature of the sport being global. Um, but we're really trying to get a local presence, and I appreciate your time on the radio show because you know we've been in the BBC, NPR, ESPN. We've been in the Telegraph, the New York Times. We've been published everywhere you can imagine. But, Memphis. but here in the Memphis <laughs> suburbs where people are you know more philanthropic per capita than almost anywhere else. they really like never heard of us. And yeah. I'm like, you ain't never seen a charity be as efficient and high-impact as we are uh, in terms of stretching a dollar uh, to optimize human impact and deliver on our mission in a really authentic way. Uh, I always encourage people you know, turn the stones and flip the hood on our budget, you know, check my salary, yeah. look at our impact, look at our slingshot Memphis, you know, data assessment and impact audit, you know, look at what we do and you're going to find someone as efficient as what we do.
0: Uh, you've got a, a website I looked up today, Memphis uh, Inner City Rugby. Um, are you there? Do you also have a website?
4: So that's yeah, org, And then we're all over social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it's at Rugby if you're doing a Twitter or Instagram. So, I'm still the chief marketing officer of the organization and the co-founder and the co-executive director. So all the marketing you see comes from right here.
0: <laughs> the, uh, because if you go there and look at these kids, uh, that are, they're all smiling. One of the things that I always look at is, uh, and whether I walk into a business or look at pictures on social media of an organization, how many people are smiling and how many people are not smiling? And that may not seem like a big deal, but let me tell you something. People don't smile if they ain't happy. And you can tell them to smile and take a picture, and you'll have two or three of us smiling, but the rest ain't going to smile because they say, I ain't happy. It's not something people lie about. It's just, you ask people about food. Do you, you like the food here? They won't lie to you. Say it's either good or it's bad, right. <laughs> but right. they will not lie. And that's the same thing right. with a smile. Everybody's smiling, not just a little bit, but exuberantly in the photos. That means these kids, you're making happy. And to share happiness with people is probably the best gift you could give anybody. And, right. and you're, you're passing that along, plus a lot more than that. Uh, where do you play your games?
4: So uh, and I, I think that's a tribute to our great coaches, by the way. You know, they really do put a smile on people's faces. They're so talented and so influential, and they're just uh, incredible. So credit to them for that. But uh, if you go down to south of downtown Memphis at 673 Vance Avenue, you'll see a 12-acre abandoned lot, which used to be the home of Vance Middle School, an iconic building that people from Memphis are used to seeing when they drive down Vance towards downtown. It's no longer there. It was demolished in 2018. And we repurposed the football field into a rugby field, and so that's our lot. Um, that's our little little place there, um, thanks to Shelby County Schools. And so we play games there, but uh, that's home games. Then practices are all over South Memphis at parks nearby the schools. And then away games are like out of Germantown, Christian Brothers High School. And then, of course, we play other teams in the state of Tennessee in the Mid-South.
0: So, so when you go play Germantown, Collierville, and you show up, you're, you're a bunch of – do they take all of these kids to inner city? They're not going to be any good <laughs>
4: Well, it, it was very interesting. Ten years ago, you dialed the clock back. We were, like, the first to do this. You know, we didn't bring rugby to Memphis. Rugby's been in Memphis since the 1970s, I think, or earlier. Uh, but we were the first to kind of bring it to the schools in South Memphis and in the <clears throat> communities that we serve. And so, yes, um, you know, a racial component that was shocking to, I think, parents, referees, other coaches, other players. It's like um, a very, you know, typically homogenous sport racially. And so, um, you know, young, young men and women of color breaking into the sport is really exciting Uh, for the sport. But early on, you know, I I wouldn't lie to you. I think it raised some eyebrows and people were um, feeling all kinds of different emotions. Um, But 10 years in, you know, I give credit to our kids for being pioneers, trailblazers, fearless, creating their space in this sport, developing their own culture within it. And then, of course, the sport and the community for embracing, you know, this this kind of groundbreaking effort.
0: Well, I think it's incredible. How did they get in touch with you with your website or to become a donor, a regular donor? Uh, find somebody to become an ongoing sponsor.
4: Yeah, please do. Um, you know, we are we are scraping for funding at MICR. There's no magic bullet. We don't have a national funder, you know, some kind of angel investor. We are scratching and clawing for everything we have. Um, we're 10 years old. We have a proven model, clean books for a decade. So please get a hold of us. You can message any of our social media platforms um, or org. You can email me, S Young at org, and uh, we will love to chat with you. I think uh, too. People are
0: always looking for a way, and it is a very, um, a very generous city for people uh, in all kinds. Of, I mean, I've been before. We had fundraisers uh, for people that have been burned down and stuff, and we'll see people driving an old beat up car come up and give me a hundred dollar bill. I mean, that says everything. They got nothing, and they're giving a hundred bucks. So there's people out there that, if they want to do more to to help this city become a better city, starting with young people is where to start. It's, it's redirecting lives that could enter otherwise go into bad places.
4: Oh, I mean, whatever your concern is, uh, if you're someone who's concerned about crime or obesity or the mental health crisis or the fact that, you know, kids uh, in Memphis, 75% of third graders didn't pass the cap this year, you know, name an issue that affects our society. And MICR is trying to address it with a really responsive service and a really world-class approach. So, you know, I, I'm not saying we're the magic bullet. We can't do what Saint, Saint Jude does, you know. Um, no question about that. But we are tackling—no pun intended, right? Tackling in rugby, ta- <laughs> tackling so societal issues. We do it all really, really well, and you know that's why I speak boldly about it. And back in the day, you say, "Oh, you know, give us a uh, as much as you, uh, you know, whatever you can afford. Any amount helps. A dollar goes a long way." Now I tell people, please give us an uncomfortable amount of money. Give us an amount of money that makes your spouse go. Uh, what? <laughs> are they sending us a Christmas card? Because you won't find a better investment to make in our local society, in the world, in a model that's proven, um, in an organization that will truly stretch it to the max. So make uncomfortable investments philanthropically in things that really work.
0: Well, I'm impressed. Shane Young, Memphis Inner City Rugby. Uh, check them out, then help them out. Good luck to you. Thank, Thank you, you for so coming by. For we'll, us on. We'll have you back and bring a couple of the kids. I'd love of to course. meet them. We will. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. <laughs> And hey, welcome back, uh, along with the Rolling Stones. We got, uh, Mr. Ron Olson, who I happen to know, knows, uh, Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones. In fact, the, he's got a picture of, uh, them together on a t shirt. That's how much he knows him. <laughs> Ron is at the entertainment capital of the world, Branson, Missouri, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Right. And I'm, I'm right up here at the top of the rock, overlooking the most beautiful golf course I've ever seen. We're at uh, Payne Stewart's golf course called Payne's Way. Wow. This is tiger and, and all of them opened a few years ago, and it is nothing short of spectacular. This is a really good one. The one I played yesterday, not so much.
0: Yeah, you said that was sort of a goat pasture yesterday.
1: <laughs> well, it was just like that. It was terrible. I mean, it was just, it, was, uh, it was like every shot that you get in the course, you couldn't see where you're hitting it to, so that doesn't turn out too good for her. Uh, Ronnie, when he's hitting the golf ball. This is this thing is breathtaking. It's really beautiful up here. I mean, it's just like, you know, the Smoky Mountains almost. It's the Ozarks. But it's, a, it's a gorgeous location. This is all uh, the Bass Pro Group.
0: Is that who you're playing with today, is Bass Pro?
1: No, no, no. This is their whole oh, this is, complex. I
0: got you. 40,000
1: 40, acres of uh, golf. Uh, if, if,
0: is that where Bass Pro originates from? Is uh, Branson, Missouri? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so. I'm not sure. But I know that they've you know, bitten off a big chunk of this up here. <laughs> and it's just been a cuss of tours of Branson. Of course, I don't think it's as uh, popular as it was years ago. Uh, I think the casinos might have uh, taken a bite out of them up here. And, uh, cause I don't know, I don't know. I think Yakov Smirnoff is the only guy that, yeah, you might recognize the rest of them are all like, uh, tribute bands that are kind of like that, you know? So anyway, it's a, it's a, the town needs a good scrub. That's what it needs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, after you told me what it's like, I went there years ago when I was at channel five and did a thing called, I think it's silver dollar city. Which is kind of a of attraction you know, rides and it's kind of a mountain theme. And right. I stayed at the Lawrence Welk Pavilion, which uh, it was. It's sort of like Disney World, except instead of uh, it's a what's a what's a One World after all or whatever it is, uh, and uh, except in Branson at the Lawrence Welk place, all they do is play Lawrence Welk music.
1: <laughs> right. I, I don't you. even know if that's happening anymore. To be <laughs> honest.
0: Well, it was, uh, it was uh it was it was, it was an experience. I've not been back since. I will tell you that. Uh, right.
1: But if anybody listening is definitely looking for a really good drive, it's about five five and a half hours out of Memphis. Um, we just kind of went up through Cersei and worked our way up. Uh, to the area. It really is beautiful. I mean, it's a spectacular location. The golf course, this Payne Stewart course, is uh, really, really something special. Payne's Valley, and it's just a. Uh, All about Payne Stewart. uh, Well, you know, uh,
0: that plane that crashed over the weekend uh, that that they think crashed for the same reason Payne Stewart did. It just uh, lost pressurization and it just went down. Uh, And Payne Stewart had just come off a big win and he was at the top of his mark when all that happened. Is is that kind of a shrine to him there? Is there a lot of his history and all there? It
1: is. Yeah, it is. It's just uh, pretty much the whole pro shop, everything.
0: Well he was he was great. I remember when he was here and he dived in the lake at Colonial. Do you remember that?
1: No, did he oh did he do that? He That's
0: was the one that sure. yeah, it was really hot and uh he was back he used to wear those little skid lid hats, uh, British looking hats, and and had his knickers and uh he took it through his hat in the air and he went and dove did a, a dive into the lake right there on eighteen. And, um really? everybody just loved that. So then what a what a great guy and he was
1: a great guy. That's together. good. Those were good times. That's when I used to live in Countrywood, and, boy, was that uh, Colonial Golf Course. Uh, that was a, an amazing party every week when they had that FedEx
0: tournament out there. It was incredible. Yeah, it really was. In fact, I remember being out there with you, John Daly, and uh, uh, Joe Theismann. Steve Connolly was standing there. I was there. And uh, Bad Dog, McCormack. were are all standing around talking. Right. And that was the first time I'd ever met uh, Joe Theismann. And so I had to leave, and I said, well, guys, it was nice meeting you, and I'm shaking hands with everybody. I shake hands with Joe Theismann, and I start to turn around walk away, and he slaps me on the butt. You know how athletes do? And I went, Joe. I said, Joe, we don't do that in the real world. He goes, I keep forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to remember that, Joe, in the real world we don't do that.
1: (laughs) That's right. No more slapping on the butt. That's
0: right. Well, have a good time, Ron, and uh, all right, man. G- go to the Lawrence World Pavilion tonight if you get a chance. I,
1: if, I, if I can get over there, I'm going to take pictures for you.
0: A one, and the two, and the three. Okay. All right, <laughs> get out of here. Bye, Earl. See you, <laughs> Mr. Ron Olson, uh, you Guys, got more time off than uh, I don't know anybody has. Ask Karen; she has to work when he's not there. I do want to tell you about a couple more accidents. We got one uh, debris in the center lane at I-240 west um at uh, getwell road now you've got another one i uh, told you about earlier that is at hacks cross road at winchester and they've got one that is at uh, more debris in the right hand lane uh, i-55 north at us 51 elvis presley boulevard that that, that big exchange and you still got that one that is a crash two left lanes blocked at i-40 east of chelsea um at exit number, uh, two, uh, report about four or twelve, And then there's another one, uh, earlier I 40 in Tennessee at uh, the Watkins exit. So I don't know why they're wrecking. There's nothing going on today. It's not raining. The sunshine, the birds are singing, but, uh, well, there you are. It's, uh, happening. we did get some rain earlier today. We had a heck of a, a pour down out in, in Collierville. And as I was driving in, it looked like it kind of rained in a few places in Germantown, but, um, for the most part, uh, it is uh, it, it just some spotty showers. I'm trying to pull up a radar right now to see if uh, what we've got in the, in the neighborhood, as it were. But uh, I know that the biggest chance we have over the weekend is Sunday. It looks like you got a 70% chance of precipitation on Sunday. But really is dry here in the Mid-South. We do need, I know I'm talking to my son, who's a rancher down in Mississippi, And he says it is so dry that uh, they're looking at, uh, usually they harvest a bunch of uh, hay and then store some for their own use, and then they sell it. He said, we're not selling anything this year. I'm looking at radar. We've got a pretty significant uh, looking uh, uh, cells that are over by Little Rock and headed toward Jonesboro. And, it's all, of course, it's all to the west of us right now and then down south of us. So uh, maybe we've got another shot at it coming in. Uh, But just to keep aware of that, and uh, it is Thursday, so uh, tomorrow's Friday, and I think we're looking at uh, pretty sunny tomorrow. The smoke, I think we do see some of the smoke that's coming from Canada. It's all over the eastern part of the United States, and I think we're seeing some of that here. Uh, but they say this uh, this front is now moving through. In fact, Ron said it went through Missouri, where he is in Branson earlier today, headed our way. It's going to cool things off, take down the humidity, and uh, ho- hopefully blow some of the smoke out to the to the Atlantic. Uh, and then they've got a low pressure system off on of the east coast, and it's moving to the northeast as well. So that's going to pull all that out of there. But it is really bad in New York. I mean, you can't see the Empire State Building from uh, from. Any place in New York, Manhattan, bad news there. We're taking a quick break, then we'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, Still have a wreck that's holding things up. Uh, It's uh, on the two left lanes are blocked at I-40 near Chelsea. Um, and you've got another one down um, south at uh, debris in the road. Uh, that's I fifty five north of uh, Highway fifty one, Elvis Presley. Uh, so be careful out there. And there's another one. This seems to be happen nearly every day um, over here near Yates and Poplar. Uh, but when people get stacked up and then uh, they're not paying attention. Somebody pulls up a little bit, the person behind them thinks, now we're off, we're going, and they step on the gas, only to find the car stops right in front of them, and so it stops again. So be careful out there, folks. Do not tailgate, and do not text and drive. Uh, Bud Light Company, uh, despite all the things they've been through here lately, are now co-sponsoring an all-ages drag party, a family festival event, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The all-ages Pride event will reportedly happen in Flagstaff, Arizona, titled Pride of the Pines. The event will include drag queens and other LGBTQ-themed performances. According to Fox News, the event lists Bud Light as one of the corporate sponsors and is even featuring prominently on one of their posters. It will take place on June 17th. Um, The event is listed as a family festival event and family-friendly safe space for all visitors. Uh, Other big-name companies sponsoring the All-Age event for Pride Month include Old Navy, Toyota, Coca-Cola, USA... And uh, that's all according to their event flyer, which may explain why Uh, more Americans this year, 38% say they are conservative or conservative on social issues. than said so in 2022, which is only 33% then, and in 2021, only 30%. At the same time, the percentage saying they are social views are very liberal or liberal has dipped to 29% from 34% in each of the past two years while the portion identifying as moderate, 31%, remains near a third. The last time this many Americans said they were socially conservative was 2012 during a period when uh, consistently more U.S. adults identified as conservative rather than liberal on social issues. And i tell you what happens is anytime people start forcing ideas and ideology on each other, I mean, people don't like it. This is America. One thing, if you want to... If you want to get along with people in this country, don't tell them what to do. <laughs> I mean, it's that's always been my mantra is uh, you can tell me anything, but just don't tell me what to do. Uh, explain things to me. Uh, say, hey, what do you think about this? I'll listen and I'll discuss things. But then if you ended by saying, now, this is what I want you to do from now on. I'll never forget when I decided I was leaving Channel 5 is when they came to me one day. They had a new news director. She said, we're changing what you do and how you do it. I went, Interesting. So what's going to happen? She said, you're no longer going to do feature stories. You go out and do feel-good stuff. You're just um, uh, murders, wrecks, and fires. I went, really? And in that moment, I said, I'm leaving Channel 5. And it didn't happen that day. It happened a few weeks later when my contract had expired. And I was on. they were putting me on the Chopper 5 to fly me back up to Dyersburg, which had some flooding and so we got socked in. We'd already been up there in a the car and shot a bunch of stuff. We came back. to the, We used to call them a Sony sandwich for a Sony camera, a videotape and all. And what you do is you live on both ends with a little package in between. So it was a Sony sandwich. And so they said, uh, fly up there and just introduce the package from the chopper, tell them you're over Dyersburg. And uh, I said, well, we can't because we're socked in here at DeWitt, Spain. There's too much fog, so we can't we can't fly up there. I said, okay, just hover above Dwight's Spain and tell everybody you're up there. I said, well, I got a real problem with that. They said, what? I said, it's not true. I said, what broadcast, what journalism school did you go to? This was a a guy, he's a producer, and he said, I didn't go to journalism school. I was working at Dottie Shoes before I got this job. (laughs) Well, it's apparent. I said, you don't lie about anything in, in uh, broadcast. Well, apparently that's changed. Apparently there's a lot more people that work for Dotty Shoes in broadcast now than there was when I was there. But that was, we, I said, I'm not doing it. I told them I was over to Spain. we're socked here because of the fog. Tell the people the truth. They they don't care. We had live uh, pictures that we had shot up there when we ran the package, came back and had a shoebox filled the rest of my stuff up that was uh, in my little desk there in my little cubicle in the middle of the newsroom at Channel 5. And just walked out. I never said goodbye. I never said hootie tootie. I just uh, like never came back. And nobody ever called me to say, "Are you coming back?" I think they got the message. <laughs> At any rate, uh, I was banned from ever working for that uh, that uh, group of stations again. Of course, they've been sold five times since then. So I don't know who owns them now. It's uh, Gray Broadcasting, I think. But whoever it is, uh, they're all there are so many generations of management that have come and gone since then that it's uh, not even. Not even funny, but the thing about it is, you just uh, uh, you just kind uh, of tell people, make people understand how you feel about stuff. But forcing us all to to go to drag queen events or any kind of event, hey, go have your event, have a big time. We've always done that in this country. You know, people join the Moose Club, people join all kinds of club. They had nudist colonies, but it doesn't mean you have to go see them, and they don't put them on the town square. Uh, it's uh, just like another article I saw that said, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it was some they had a, a drag show and they had underage kids there. Uh, yeah, kids subjected to bizarre nude performance at all ages, Oregon State drag event. Underage children were ex- uh, exposed to adult nudity in a recent drag show at Oregon State University's. LaSalle Stewart Center hosted by the student-fee-funded campus LGBTQ group Rainbow Continuum. And uh, they knew there were underage kids there. They got out there and did uh, uh, sexually explicit uh, acts and uh, uh, content, including sexual provocative performances by men and women in drag and costumes. She also knew that minors were present at the show. I mean, that's contributing to the delinquency of minor, and it's a felony, and uh, those people should be arrested. I mean, what you go do whatever you do as an adult, uh, but, but do it according to the law. In, 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 but I guess that's Oregon now. I guess you can do whatever you want in Oregon, and um, and nobody cares. I, I certainly don't, I mean, except to exposing children and stuff like that, and I don't think that's good. No, I don't care where it is. And I think that is one reason uh, the conservative movement is gaining in uh, popularity is because people are starting to see this is where this all ends up. Uh, and then uh, this came out, uh, said, religion good for your health. Studying the health benefits of religious activity involves special challenges and researchers are developing new methods to meet them. Uh, you got to subscribe to this Wall Street Journal, which I hate. Why, why do the? Uh, well, here it is: is religious a medic- medicine for what ails us? If we're talking about physical and mental health, the answer has been difficult to come by. Large-scale studies have consistently shown a strong association between being religious and good health. I think what it is, in all honesty, is that people that have a strong faith are happier because they. Uh, I have a positive outlook on life, that things are going to get better, that there's my God is in heaven. He's looking out for me. And if bad things happen, he'll help me get over it. And you associate with other people that feel the same way you do. why right, when you go to church, everybody's smiling. You go to a lot of places, and ain't nobody's smiling. And that alone is, is encouraging and helpful. And then when people have problems, people in a church group, they go to them and say, what can we do to help? Uh, and you get that to some degree in just uh, private life out there and the people you work with that care about you, and there are good people everywhere. But I think that uh, it has been proven that people have a strong faith and, uh, and a belief in, in a higher being. And in most of our cases, that's a Christianity. You believe in Jesus Christ and that he's your personal Lord and Savior. And uh, I don't care what happens to you. That makes your life better. You are happier. And if you don't believe it, talk to an atheist and say, so what are you happy about? <laughs> they ain't happy. I'm just telling you. I know them. And then they'll say, oh, I'm happy. I'm happy. I say, what are you happy about? I mean, how could you be happy in knowing that if you die tomorrow, that's just it? That's just it. And there's nobody else out there looking out for you. You're just out here all by yourself like a, a piece of driftwood. And uh, to me, that would be very depressing. And a lot of people say, well, you're living in a fantasy world. Say, no, I'm living in my world. That's my world. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back. You into, to uh, Mick Jagger always puts me in a good mood. We're going to get some more of Mick and the boys, and a uh, few other people. You, you know, music from back then. Uh, it sustains today. I mean, young people, uh, Philip, you're sitting there listening to that. I mean, that's as good as the first time I ever heard it. and Probably the first time you ever heard it, you went, hey, that's a that's a good song. Yes. It, it is, is amazing. And then you hear, like, uh, I never ne- I never liked um, uh, headbanging rock and roll. I never liked, uh, back when they had punk rock, I, that one escaped me. I just sat there and said, I got no use for punk rock. r and B I I loved. Um, and in a way, the Stones are kind of R&B, rock but a lot of blues in there as well. Uh, and, uh, gosh, all the R&B stars, uh, of course, uh, the great, uh, uh, Al Green, the Reverend Al Green right here in Memphis, just all the people that came out of Memphis. The, the music came out of Memphis, uh, during that whole era. And I've often said that it would be great if they did a, a time piece, uh, of all the music that was being produced in Memphis back in the day when Sun Studios was here, Royal Studios, American Studios, uh, and they were uh, uh, stacks. I mean, all these guys were and gals were putting out this great music and they were all doing independently of each other. And back in those days, the only way you could find out what was selling was you'd go to your record store, like pop tunes. And they'd have a the top 10 or top 100 list of records being sold nationwide. And all the record stores would call in to some central location somewhere. And they would say, these are our sales for the, for yesterday. And, uh, even Elvis would go to pop tunes to see how his records are doing. I mean, he can find out there before you could find out any place else. And it, 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 so much has changed. I mean, that was back before the internet. It was back before just anything. I mean, even TV, uh, for most part, most people didn't have TVs back in the early fifties. And, um, so, uh, and when you found out a record, it was on the radio. I mean, it, all of a sudden it would play a song and you'd never heard it before. And that's what, the, you ain't nothing about a how dog when when Elvis uh, first came out. I remember I was walking down an alley in Odessa, Texas in 1956. I was like six years old. And I hear this song. This guy's working on his car in the backyard in this little garage, homemade garage, where it was made out of wood. And he had one of those little hang down lights in the, under his hood. And he was working on his car. Had a transistor radio on the workbench right there, and this song came on uh, by Elvis Presley. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. And this kid was a teenager, which was a big deal for me because I'm six, right? And he's actually talking to me, studying, Get out of here, kid. And uh, he was actually, he said, Kid, you hear that song? I said, Yes, sir. He said, You know who that is? I said, No, sir. He said, That is Elvis Presley. He's gonna be big. And I went, Okay. And so a couple of days later, I'm in my kitchen. and remember we used to have this brown AM radio set on top of the refrigerator. And we're, I was in there eating by, by uh, Frosted Flakes and, and talking to my mom, and the record came on. I said, Mom, do you know who that is? She goes, I'm not sure. I said, but that's Elvis Presley. And that's him singing, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. He's going to be big, Mom, big. <laughs> she goes, where did you hear that? I said, I get around you worry about it i get around uh we laughed about that for years said, i had no idea where you came up with that and i said well uh it's a teenager down the street <laughs> you know and i did they they tried to keep me from i guess i've always been naturally curious always as soon as i could start walking away from the house i did i was down up down the street talking to people what are you doing what's that how do you do that uh, so they built a fence around the backyard a little four foot cyclone fence and so I figured out how to get through the gate. And so they put a lock on the gate. I just climbed over. Dad said, We ain't keeping this kid home. You just got to let him go. And so I did. I mean, I, when I got a bicycle, man, I was, I was gone. And I uh, rode our bikes to school and came home, dumped off my books and was gone again until the street lights came on. And in the summer, that was late. And, uh, but in those days, I mean, we really, we'd, we'd say, we'd be back and my mother would say, Where are you going to be? Just, just in the neighborhood man we were like five miles away we, <laughs> there was no telling where we were i mean we'd drive down to this place it was called buckskin which was the name we gave i don't know if it had any of their name but it was an, an old dump that they had stopped dumping stuff in but still had the the kind of the pitch you'd ride down a hill and and uh there was all kinds of trails through there ride our bikes on and and, uh, you know, throw rocks at each other and, and put cards in our spokes and make those uh, sound like motorcycles until we figured out balloons. If you got balloons in those long, skinny ones and you blew those up and tied them to the, the forks on your bike, and it did sound like I mean, it made it sound like a bunch of hogs driving down the street. All of a sudden, you look up, there are three kids on little bikes. <laughs> um, but it was. Uh, that's the way you're supposed to grow up. You should be going to drag shows and and you know trying to influence kids into what what political ideology that you're trying to persuade them to be in at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And it comes along soon enough, and it's never easy for anybody to figure out. And I just uh, I, I just think that uh, you know that should be and it is. I mean, you're not supposed to be teaching this kids stuff, and yet they come from from every direction. Schools, so you got to watch out for your school board. You got to watch out for for everybody. And I think the bottom line is just really communicate with your kids. And you say, if you see something like this going on, get out of there and uh, and just uh, avoid it. It's a uh, you'll you'll find out about all the the rotten things in Earth uh, soon enough, and. I, I just remember as I got into news and I started figuring out there were corrupt people. That was probably the biggest shock I had. I mean, you saw it, watched television, you know, but it was Paladin and Gunsmoke and you had the bad guys and the good guys. And then when I got into news and I started figuring out that the people who I knew they were were doing bad things. I'm going, well, what's up with that? I'm like, welcome to the world. And then I go home and ask my parents, did you know this? And they go, well, Yeah. Well, how come we never talked about it? Said, well, because you'll find out about it soon enough, and we're talking about it now. But why destroy your faith in humanity at the age of six? You know, give you a little bit more padding to have faith because you're going to need it as you go along. And then you do find out that there are some really great people out there, which makes up for all the bad people. And that's why you associate with good people because if you hang around bad people, even. And I think everybody's kind of tempted to do that. I remember in high school, the guys as were out there smoking cigarettes behind the chalk line and, and had the, the, the black jackets and the ducktail haircuts when I was in high school. And, and we were all wearing flat tops and button-down collar shirts. And, and they had taps on their shoes. I remember I said, I was begging my mother, let me get taps on She goes, no, I don't want you to look like some hood, <laughs> which is where I went to high school. It was called Hood High School, junior high. And uh but then all those guys that uh, did all that stuff ended up getting in trouble later on. And, uh, you know, having to join the Marines or go to reform school. There's your choices. <laughs> so, you know, for whatever reason, I was able to uh, circumvent all that and, uh, and thank God. And uh, it took all the good people and the good uh, ins- and information I had to make it. So that's what we continue to do today to spread that. Have a great evening. We'll be back tomorrow. I hope you join us. We'll see you then. Fuck. Uh.